0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every
1: Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan robinson Lees. Welcome to the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Megan Potter joins us for today's episode, sharing her passion for art, nature and education. Growing up in the Lower Blue Mountains, Megan has always been fascinated by the local wildlife and what it has to offer. Through her unique yet recognisable work, Megan hopes to inspire, inform and educate her audience on the beauty of nature. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Megan, over the summer we have seen your work on show at the world-famous Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens at Mount Tomar. What does it mean to you to have your work on display at such an iconic and popular location?
0: So having my work on display at Mount Toma has been... It's just been so special, I guess, to have the connection between like, my subject matter and the actual location that I find the subject matter in so uh, all of the birds there and there's like a couple of flowers in there they're all like inspired by the actual flora and fauna that is at Mount Toma Gardens so I think that's just been yeah it's just been really delightful to see that connection between the two.
1: And being from the Blue Mountains yourself how special is that to be able to showcase what it, what is so fascinating about the area and knowing that there's a huge amount of tourists that come through that area do you feel like you're putting on a representation for the local community
0: yeah i do like i felt like almost i wanted to create this feeling for people visiting that they were visiting the gardens and then visiting the the exhibition and then going back into the gardens like it was like cyclical so i have had people message me and say that they went and saw the show and then they went out and like were looking for the birds and then came back in and looked at the works again so I think it's been really great to see that people are able to have that connection between the birds that are on in the exhibition and birds that that are pretty loud and (laughs) they have a big personality in the gardens there and I think like there's the there's birds like the kookaburra that kind of everyone resonates with everyone knows a kookaburra and they're all through the gardens but also all through Australia so I hope that people have come in and also seen some birds that maybe they didn't know about and were able to maybe spot them in the gardens and gain a bit more appreciation for the diversity of bird life that we have in Australia but also in that in that garden center there there's just so many birds that Aren't able to probably survive as well in more urban areas, so I wanted to highlight that too.
1: And do you see the role of your work as a platform for education to educate both local people and people who are visiting?
0: Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so, um, as like all my family and friends know, I'm like really annoying about birds. They're like, can you just do the bushwalk and stop, you know, pointing out all the birds and like waiting for them to come out so you can identify them? So I really. Yeah, it's like for me I started drawing birds and I didn't know about birds and then I came to love birds and you know appreciate how many we have here in Australia. And so for me I've kind of learned about birds through drawing. So I want to also give other people that experience. Like we have so many here and they're kind of all around us and you can kind of, you can forget that they are there like you might not even know some of the small birds that are just all around us in the blue mountains like eastern spine bills and yellow thornbills they're, they're like a five centimeters ish in size or maybe 10 centimeters so they're super easy to overlook but they're kind of everywhere and I want I hope that people can see that more
1: and if you are on a bush walk around um, the area what's the one bird that you always want to keep an eye on you out for is there one favorite for you
0: <laughs> i don't think that there's a favorite but i do really like white-browed scrub wrens they're this tiny little bird and they have white eyebrows kind of angling downwards on their face so whenever you see them they look a bit angry <laughs> and i think it's really funny because <laughs> they're so small but they kind of hop around everywhere and, and if they see you, they make an alarm call. So they're like,
1: with their eyebrows facing down. So <laughs> yeah, I really like them. <laughs> we had Jody McLeod and Eloise Short on the mm. Passion and Perspective podcast who together combined to produce uh, Lila the Liabird and Leonard the Liabird oh, as a child's yeah, book series. Yeah. Have you had the opportunity to see a, a liar bird out in there in the wild?
0: I have, yeah. I've seen a few actually at Mount Toma Botanic Gardens. It's pretty, They're pretty fickle, but often I will hear them first before I see them. So they're kind of like, they behave like big chickens. Like they're really just digging around for worms and grubs, but they're really quite shy. So... I did a residency in Victoria and I was in a national park down there going for a bushwalk and I had my camera and I was trying to get photos of birds and I heard like this series of bird calls like from all these different birds like very close to each other and I immediately was like that's got to be a, a liar bird because there's no way that all of those birds would be so close together and do that that noise so quickly then walking around the corner I saw it was a lyrebird, and I, that was just really special because I I had never really heard them do the mimicking so much because often I would just kind of see them more from a distance. So,
1: yeah. And Megan, you've been exhibiting your art since 2014. These past seven years, has it exceeded your expectations?
0: Definitely. <laughs> no doubt about it. In I mean, in high school I didn't really think that being an artist was like something that you could do so to have graduated and then been picked up by a gallery and exhibited in so many places I, I like for the first few years I was just in shock almost every time I was able to be in an exhibition or I sold an artwork I just didn't I guess I didn't think it was possible so yes definitely.
1: And your role now as a visual arts and photography teacher Mm. at Blacksland High School, do you try and encourage art as a career path or at least open doors for the students that it is a path you can take after school?
0: Yes, definitely. I think I try to, you know, I don't talk about myself being an artist too much, but I do let them know like some things that I have going on. So I want them to know that it's possible. But also there's a lot of things that you can do like outside of high school that I think helps students to understand the path that they can take with it is real. So when I was in high school, I, I was selected by my visual arts teacher at the time to go to the National Arts School to do the Doughbell Drawing School. And I feel like for me, that's when the doors kind of opened up and I realised that doing art is can be taken really seriously and people can pursue it. So... I will always try to give opportunities like that to students and really hope, I hope to open their eyes to it. I think getting outside of high school and like seeing exhibitions and seeing places where these things take place really helps because sometimes within the walls of the school, I think it seems as if the real world doesn't exist. Like it, a lot of students, I don't think they understand that I actually am an artist. Like I've had students say to me like, Oh, that workshop that you sent us on was so great miss it was nice to learn from real artists and I'll be like oh so because I'm an art teacher I'm not an artist is that how it works so (laughs) yeah I think it's good for them to get out of the school.
1: (laughs) And Megan you grew up in the lower Blue Mountains in Blacksland what was your upbringing like?
0: My upbringing I think was really good I mean I've grown up in a very beautiful place in the Blue Mountains so we kind of had, like, a big neighbourhood community as well when I was growing up, which I think was really awesome because it felt like all of my friends were really close and we had a very tight-knit community. Like, my neighbours and I, we have, like, a fence between our place or my parents' place and it has, like, a gate in it because we would go between each other's houses so much and do everything together. So, I, th- you know, I have I have one sister, but I feel like when I grew up I got to really socialise with so many different people on my street, so,
1: yeah. And do you think that interaction with neighbours, with your sister, with schoolmates, Mm. do you think that helps stimulate creativity and exploration in you?
0: I do, I think so. I think more so, though, what has stimulated me has been... Like I think I went through a lot of growing up in the Blue Mountains, not being aware of the, the Blue Mountains in a way. Like I, you, you where you grow up, you just kind of take for granted. Like I thought, oh yeah, it's like nice here, you know. Oh, there's a tree, <laughs> you know. It wasn't very like in depth thinking. So like having gone to the National Art School and really having to think about what I want to make work about at all, it makes you reflect on your world around you. So I want to like reveal the beauties within nature that i overlooked and probably what other people overlooked growing up so i think like without knowing it growing up in the blue mountains has influenced me so
1: much yeah do you recall a moment where you first had brush in hand or pencil in hand and you really uncovered that love for art and painting
0: I've been drawing for so long. Like I remember doing, I don't remember doing a drawing in preschool, but I have a drawing from preschool that I remember. My parents being like, "That is such a good drawing." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, you're a bit biased." <laughs> um, but I've I vividly remember doing like getting this idea in primary school, and I can't remember what year, but I was like, I want to make like this epic drawing of horses like running across a field, and so I. It felt like this huge project at the time for me, and it took me, like, I think, weeks, and I had, like, lots of A4 pieces of paper stuck together, and I drew probably, like, 200 horses just, like, running. And, you know, it's primary school, so it wasn't a great drawing or anything, but I was really proud of it. And I don't know, somehow, like, I must have told a teacher about it or something, and I got to show it at assembly and everything. So I think... Yeah, I think it's always been something that I've just kind of done, but probably I must have just really enjoyed it to really want to be so ambitious about something in primary school, I think.
1: And that example you just gave, Hmm. do you think the thrill came from doing the piece of art or the fact that you got to, to show people the piece of art that you did?
0: I think it was from doing it, really. Yeah, like I don't even remember how it came to be that I showed people. I think that's always, It's always a bit of a part of it, like when you're younger and you can draw well. People are always like, "Wow, how did you do that?" You know. Really, it, it's like the project. I think like you're like, I'm going to start this, and then I'm going to get it finished and resolved. And it's still always like that with every work that I
1: do. Is that the beauty of it? Even today, that you can start literally the blank canvas. Mm. And then after a period of time you've you've literally created something? Is that what sparks your, your love for it?
0: Yeah, I mean that's one of the things for sure. Like it feels it feels like so amazing to have this blank piece of paper and your materials and you know you're going to create something from kind of what looks
1: like nothing in the first place. And the role of education, what did that have to play? You went to school at Blackson High. Did you have ambitions to pursue further study? What was your time at school like?
0: Um, My time at school was pretty good. I mean, I think I definitely... Like I often say to my students now, I say, look, when you leave high school, it's great as well. Because I, I didn't... I liked school and there was lots of good things about it, but I also felt like it was so insular. And, you know, if you didn't happen to get along with your friends for like a little bit, then... It, was, it kind of ruled your world, you know. Whereas when I left high school and I met so many different people at uni, it was just this like, just opened my eyes up to how different everyone can be. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to keep living your whole life with everyone from high school. I think high school too is really what, like, going to the Dobel Drawing School and having that opportunity. I, I really don't know if I would actually be an artist if it wasn't for that because. I had to go to national art school and it was just such a wonderful experience and I got to see like that the national art school exists and you can study it afterwards. And also like it was it felt really liberating at high school to be able to do to be so creative because in a lot of other subjects it was like learning content and answers were right and wrong and you know, my art teachers at the time, like especially my art teacher in year seven, he was Mr Dive if anyone (laughs) knows him Um, he was pretty chill he drank out of a toilet cup so (laughs) he was awesome but he was so like relaxed like kind of a way that you can't be in teaching anymore I don't think and for me it was just really fun because I could just go there. And I was so already so driven about art, I didn't need to be motivated. And so I got to just sit there for an hour and draw whatever I wanted, which, you know, I'll never let my students do that now, but uh, except for if they're in year 11 12. So I think it's that freedom and the, the idea that you can kind of do whatever you want in a way.
1: Did you have an appreciation through school or an understanding about the theoretical side and the historical side of art? Were you... I guess a student
0: of those who'd come before you I've always I felt like for a lot of my career I've actually kind of rebelled against that and I mean that might not be a good thing in especially at uni, like we were really pushed to have influences and to look at other artists' work and to find pathways that way and i I was very like adamant about not doing that, which didn't my tutors didn't really like and I understand that but I wanted to be original I guess and like a lot of like people say in art there's nothing original anymore so <laughs> I don't know if I can really do that but in the same token I feel like the method that I have made, like, with my charcoal and my watercolour layering. Like, I don't really see many other artists using that as a method. So even though it was with some really hard yards to, like, resolve my work, like, it took a long time because I wasn't really drawing off what other people were doing. Yeah, I think it has paid off in a way. So I think I would have been influenced by history, like, in general, but in terms of having, like, a direct influence, I... I didn't have too many, you know. There was a a couple of people like Dale Frank. I really loved his abstract work. But yet again, at art school, he was kind of... Like when I said he was an influence, people just thought that he was too commercial. So that's kind of a thing at art school as well.
1: How much of a challenge is that? You hear that a lot in the music industry and the Mm. arts industry about being being commercial or being a sellout. Mm. But the reality is at some point you do need to, to make a livelihood. How Have you found that balance in terms of remaining independent and being a trailblazer, but also wanting to earn a living through your work? It's been a
0: challenge, really, you know? Like, it's it feels like the social vision of an artist is that you just work with pure authenticity and money doesn't mean anything. And, like, if you're an artist, you're a starving artist. And it's just not... It's like, how could anyone function like that? So it's been a really, it's been always a challenge. Like, because I got picked up by a gallery in my first year out of art school, I was selling works really fast and it really picked up really quickly. And so for me, I think a lot of my style has really, it has been dictated by the commercial side of my practice. Like, the things that were selling more, I would, make more of because at the time like I wasn't a teacher yet and I didn't really have that much money so like if I could make some money off making a sale you know I would so yeah it's it's a huge challenge I think and it it, it's hard not to think about it when you're making work about oh if I make this work will it sell or not you know like that's a lot of time and I have so much work that hasn't sold as well and I do enjoy experimenting with new ideas but it it feels like a balance between making work that you would like to sell and making work that kind of nourishes that artist inside of you so it might not really be... People might not really like it but you feel good from having kind of gotten it out of
1: you, this idea, yeah. And straight out of art school, the fact that you got picked up by a gallery and you're selling your works, did you Mm -hmm. receive any pushback either directly or indirectly from other artists or people in the industry who maybe thought it was beginner's luck or something along those lines
0: yeah I mean no one really said that to me exactly like there was a lot of like fears like at art school we'd been told to be careful of galleries and stuff because if they take you on and they push your prices up too fast you can be unsellable if your work doesn't keep being popular so like you could be expecting to sell works for ten thousand dollars straight away so that was definitely like a concern but I kind of just spoke with my gallery about that and they you know they were they didn't really they didn't want to exploit me
1: And straight out of school Megan what career direction were you wanting to head in you know as an 18 19 year old did you know exactly where you wanted to end up I always said
0: that I would get into being an art teacher, so but I think that the reality of that didn't really become very true until towards the end of my degree in fine arts. So I was like, oh, well, I can always just do my fine arts degree and if it doesn't work out, I'll become a teacher, you know? And it was kind of blasé. So it has been a challenge because I did get straight out of art school and I was doing really well, but I didn't want to give up on having teaching as well so i'm really glad that i did end up keeping teaching because art has been so unpredictable in terms of like the sustainability financially just to be
1: frank and you went on to study an honors in fine arts at the national arts school what were some of the key learnings you took from your time there
0: well it, it was just wonderful to experiment and learn about so many different materials and mediums so that's why i wanted to go to the national art school because in your first year there you get to try everything and then you can slowly hone your practice so i felt like it didn't matter what what i'd gotten used to in high school or anything you could really Pushing, you could try everything and decide maybe you want to be something completely different. Maybe like you were always a drawer for your whole life through high school, but you found sculpture like amazing and you could go into that. So I think that's, I was really excited to go to the national art school for that. And then just the, probably the most pivotal thing about national art school was the drawing was so rigorous, like at all times um, throughout the course you would do drawing for at least like a whole day of drawing. So that really influenced my work now because a lot of my work is about drawing fast and quickly um, and choosing areas to refine. So I think that it's got a very clear
1: influence of the
0: life drawing that we did at National Art School. Yeah.
1: We spoke with Terence Plowright on the Passion and Perspective podcast and Terence is an artist and a sculptor, talked about in his formative years. It was a matter of just trying everything, whether it was different mediums Mm. or different projects, purely just to learn. Did you have a similar mindset at the art school, just to open your mind, to try different things and know that eventually you would land on something that worked for you?
0: Definitely. I think that's why I wanted to go there, so that I could play with all of it. And I think that you have to go to art school with that frame of mind, too, to be open to trying so many things, so like that's why I actually ended up majoring in ceramics for my fine arts degree before I did honors in drawing. So I'm also like a ceramicist, but I don't really practice it as much now, but I just loved ceramics like in a way that I didn't think that I would. I I didn't really like it that much at high school. Like I I would be like, Oh, my hands are messy, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) but I ended up loving it and the firing process and it's, because in the kiln, you don't really know what's going to happen. So it's that kind of excitement of when you open the kiln door, you're like, what? Oh, it's all exploded. Oh, oh no. Or, wow, look at that glaze. So, yeah, I would love to get a kiln one day and get back into that.
1: This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's The Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, The Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. And at National Art School, at a personal level, what was the shift in your self-confidence in relation to your work?
0: I think because it's just like the rigor of making and making mistakes and letting that work go or pushing, pushing your work really far. Like you might not like it for most of the time, but, and you might not even like your artwork in the end, but you feel like you come out of it learning something about it. So I think, I think being, learning that making mistakes in art is okay is what gave me the confidence really with my work. So you you didn't feel so tied to every single artwork you make, which, you know, I feel like I'm almost struggling more again now. Like, I'd love to go back to art school and just, like, have someone shake me up a bit and go, don't worry, you know, you might spend 24 hours on this work and it might not work out, but it doesn't matter. Like, you'll see something from that in the next work that you do.
1: And how hard has that balance been with your self-worth and identity tied to your work? You know, mm. Megan Potter, the, the artist, and what you see on the canvas is what you interpret as a reflection of yourself, how hard is it to separate the piece of work from you as a person? Oh,
0: it's really difficult. And it's very hard to, as an art teacher now, because that's what I often am trying to teach my students, that your artwork isn't you. And, you know, if you're getting feedback or, or comments on your artwork, then that's not actually you. So I think for me, it's very much like that too. So I even like in terms of like a community sense, like often like, if I meet new family members or something, I'm introduced to people, like, with my um, boyfriend's family, like, his mum will be like, oh, Megan, the artist, and, <laughs> and they'll come up to me, and go, you're the artist, aren't you, and I'm like, yes, that's me, so I feel like there's a lot of pressure on my, my, me being, like, a successful artist, and my work being good, and, you know, even, especially at art school, you'd have, like, friends be like, oh, so what do you make, and, like, I'd be working on some experimental, like, texture work that just kind of didn't look like anything yet, and they'd be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> like, they're like, where's the, where's the realistic portrait that looks like a photo? So I think that's, like, that's probably a derogatory view of, like, of, of what people think of art, but some people are like that,
1: yeah. And what's the balance like as well? Again, looking at the creative industry, as an artist you're seeking perfection but you also need to have output and be, be putting out pieces of work do you need your work to be as close to perfect as possible or are you comfortable putting something out even if it's 60 or 70% done in your mind
0: um, so i think i i am okay at making work and releasing it if it's not perfect but i think i've become less and less good at that the less time i've had so because i've gone from like I'm working full-time as a teacher now. When I do have time to make work, it's usually in the school holidays. And it's like, okay, I have ten days to make, you know, five works and I need them for this show. And so it becomes almost like a production in a way. Like, when I was in, I think, 2018, I managed to work part-time for a year in teaching. And so I'd have Wednesdays and Fridays always to do art. And so... When it was like that, I ended up really getting into like a new style of art where I was doing some leaf litter works, and it took a couple. It took like five or six works of that before I kind of honed into a style or you know a color palette that actually worked for that series. So that was just like huge in having the time to do that. But you know, I don't. I actually feel like I'm struggling at the moment to have the time to do that, and even in the past year, I, I didn't really have any shows booked or planned or anything. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to like, not like seek it out. And I will, you know, use some time to experiment. Like not in that I don't like my work, but as an artist, you often, you, you always have that critic in your head, like you need to try something new, like you have to mix it up. It's too the same. And so, I still was reached out and people were asking me if I wanted to do shows and I was like well I can't say no like these are amazing opportunities so um yeah I mean all of that is in the context though and I remind myself that I have like my whole life I'm going to be an artist and it's not like you think oh well I, I don't have the next thing now and I haven't revolutionized my art practice but I think I just remind myself I've got you know I've got my whole life I've got ages still to do more
1: work and back in 2014 when you first started exhibiting and were with the gallery then was it nerves when you first put yourself out there put your work out there was it nerves was was there an element of confidence that went with it what was your mindset at that stage
0: yeah it was definitely nerve-wracking but I felt almost like I didn't think that it would ever go anywhere really so it was like this kind of ballsy confidence where I was like, I like, I made this like weird artwork to go in the group show that I ended up being picked up from. I made like, I got a pool noodle and I stuck like a whole bunch of skewers into it. That was spray painted black. And it was like this abstract sculpture of my cat's tail. that like sticks up in the air with like heaps of fluff coming out. And I was just like, like it wasn't resolved and it, it wasn't great but it was just this like yeah epic but I also did this uh one of my first bird paintings with color and at the time like I wasn't I didn't have money to get them framed so it was just like hung off the wall and I kind of liked the draping and then that was the work that like from my first group show the gallery um that I've been with M Contemporary, they were there and they were like, "Wow, we love our bird work. Like, are you interested in maybe doing a couple more works and we can have a look? And so from there, it kind of, I really went into that, that medium and that
1: style. And your work, Megan, has been shown all around the world. It's been in Hong Kong, Sydney, all around New South Wales. Especially in those early years, was there a mentor or someone kind of guiding you through the process?
0: My gallery ended up becoming, like, a mentor for me. So Louise at M Contemporary, like, I had to constantly meet with her and speak with her about, like, ideas and, you know, where we should go. And, you know, I felt like they were really – like, they really were invested in me. So, like, exhibiting in Hong Kong was through them. So they were like, oh, would you like to try exhibiting there? And I said, hell yeah. So (laughs) Um, I think – that I never really... And I think that's something I'm still kind of looking for now is a mentor of someone who is pursuing art. And I think I should... I mean, what's been great about exhibiting at Mount Tomah and I exhibited at Hawkesbury Regional Gallery earlier is I've really gained more of a connection with the local art community that I didn't have before, like having gone to art school in Sydney and then exhibiting in Sydney. A lot of the people and friends that I made were based in Sydney and I didn't really get to see them that much. So. But there has been some other artists that I've exhibited with as well and we've like made connections and constantly talking as well and that's just so important to have other people that
1: really understand like your world to talk to. What do you think was the key to the momentum and I guess the increase in exposure and the increase in work? Do you put it down to one particular thing or was it a, a culmination of your work over a number of years?
0: Uh, well, I think that like the art style that ended up becoming really popular and kind of like helped me to s- succeed in art in my art career was really just one of like pure frustration from my honors. <laughs> um, I was doing like my project was these. I was trying to make. Uh, I've always been interested in creating like abstraction and expression from nature, so I was looking at like you know, why animals' patterns are the way that they are and, like, how has everything visually evolved to look a specific way. And I was trying to look more into... I think it's, like, phenomenology. And I was making some things that I called cat balls and they were just, like, a cat curled up, abstracted into, like, this random circular abstraction. And I was, you know... I wasn't doing that that well with them and my lecturers were like, what are you doing? It's not working. And I was like, ah! And so I bought like a roll of art paper from the art shop and I just rolled it out like as big as I could onto the floor. And I just did like this painting of a dog head. Um, And I was still looking at that abstraction of the patterns and I was trying to create like something familiar, yeah, unfamiliar. But just that frustration and rolling the paper out and doing something as big as I could. I mean, that's really where the style came as kind of that breaking point. I was like, I'm just going to do this. And then it worked. So a lot of my work is like really expressive and fun. And I think I realized like probably too late in my honors um, degree that like, it should be fun. Like, why am I painting if I'm just going to be miserable about it, you know? Like, I should enjoy the process. And so that's kind of, that style is what, I think, I think people see that in the work. They can, I've had people say to me, it looks like that's really fun to do. And I'm like, it is, yeah. And so I think that people, you know, they like the subject of nature, but they also enjoy the kind of expressive and fun nature
1: of the work itself. I think that's what's been popular about it. Is that a mindset going into the work that I'm going to make this fun or is it a almost like a natural reaction that the moment you start, it becomes an enjoyable experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, for my work, it's like the... So because it's very segmented, I do a watercolour layer and then I do a charcoal layer. And so for me, the watercolour layer is the fun part because it's kind of my basis of... It's not like a background, but it's kind of the underdrawing really so I like to go crazy the water drips everywhere and it's like so fun and I'm not too worried about proportion or anything like if there's mistakes I don't really care because I know I'll be coming back on top with the charcoal so that part I go in and I'm always really pumped about like I put music in earbuds in and I sing around and dance so my sister was filming me do some work for a video and she was like oh my god can you shut up with your singing so I was like it's part of the process she was like well maybe you should put it in the video and I was like no (laughs) so that part's really fun um and the charcoal part is still really fun but I have to be a bit more serious and um calm when I'm doing the face of the bird because everyone always says to me the eye I love the eye and I think um, you have to kind of get the eye right in order for everything else to work. So that's that's my process at the moment and what I'm like comfortable with is like having fun with the watercolor layer and then I get to the face and I make it quite realistic but then I branch out from there and I let it be quite open and still expressive with the charcoal.
1: Is the watercolor and charcoal a deliberate contrast? Are you trying to convey something to the viewer through that?
0: Well, I want to really like it's kind of based off, I want it to look a little bit unfinished and I want it to reveal the process of the drawing like as a technical approach but I also like the sense of movement that you get with it and the sense of like time passing like I want it to look almost as if like you know it's unfinished but also that the bird's kind of moving in space because like if anyone has ever tried bird watching it can be really difficult because they do move around so much so I also am trying to pinpoint how special it can be to kind of just sit and try to watch birds and like that mindful experience of what that's like. Also, I like it being so juxtaposed in that expressiveness versus the realism because I think of it as like an invitation into the artwork, into the abstraction. so having, like, an aspect of it that's quite relatable and you immediately think, oh, well, that's a bird, allows you to, like, kind of look at it. And then if the, your eyes, like, travel through, then they can experience, like, other aspects of the artwork that don't have to be as familiar. So, like, just the way that the charcoal could look on top of the watercolour in areas, I mean, that's like a little artwork in itself with inside of the work, you know? So it's that invitation to abstraction.
1: And has there been a favorite piece of work that's really stood out to you one that you're most proud of um,
0: I have an artwork at home that like I put in an exhibition and it never sold and I wasn't really sad about it because I really love it um, it's not as like it's not as technically wonderful but it's this handful of baby I can't remember what they're called they're like these tiny little possums and um, my boyfriend's an engineer and he was working with an ecologist to have found some of them oh they're pygmy possums I think and he had this handful of possums and he sent me a photo and I made an artwork off of it and it's like these four possums that are kind of squirming about and I just for me I feel a real personal connection to it because like of this it's it's relates to like the idea that with family, we can all, like it looks beautiful, but also ugly at the same time. I think that's what I like about it. And that's what family is like for me. Like sometimes family is so beautiful and wonderful. And then other times there's super ugly moments, but in a way you can never really disconnect from any of that. And I think that work is really special to me.
1: Along that same line, with each of your pieces of work, are you drawing on, an element of personal experience or is it more just like an interpretation or a fictitious approach to your work
0: I'm definitely trying to draw on personal experience so all of the birds that I paint are birds that I've seen before and I try also to take all of the photos of birds when I can but it can be really challenging so I do use some uh, like a compilation of images online as well so it's, I am really trying to reveal an experience I've had seeing a bird and drawing on that.
1: And what are you trying to then elicit from the viewer? Is it an emotion? Is it a feeling? What, what do you want them to, to feel when they're looking at a piece of your work?
0: I really want them to feel excited and intrigued by the bird and hopefully to have them maybe have a sense of, Maybe joy, even for the nature that exists around us, because i it's and there's a lot of work that reveals like our need to care for animals more and to care for our environment, and I think all of that is really true, and we do, but what I am trying to do is more of a celebration of that of that life of that experience with that animal because you know I genuinely do feel like a ridiculous sense of joy when I'm spotting birds and it's like such a simple thing but I do hope that that's what people feel and I hope that they, you know, people that have bought the work that they can also like living with that work maybe gain their own story with a bird. Like I've had people come to me with stories of birds that are just so beautiful. I've had a woman who's bought a butcher bird from me and she said that, you know, like it's quite a sad story but when her father died she on that day had like a butcher bird following her around with her everywhere on a golf course where she was playing golf and she said like her father absolutely loved butcher birds and she felt like on that day she had her father with her there and I just thought wow this artwork has allowed you to like remember
1: that story and tell people that story and I think it's so beautiful. Do you feel a duty or responsibility then, Megan, that your work can transcend just art, that it can actually have a, a really positive and amazing impact on people's lives?
0: Yeah, I do, I guess. I think, like, as artists, we're constantly making comments on things, and I think, like, lo- looking at nature as well is really important. And even though it seems like probably a lot of people are making work based on nature, I think if you look historically, like, it's not really. I mean like a lot of artworks throughout history have been based on people and you know religion and monarchies like very historically and I think it's quite interesting now if you look at like my artworks that are portraits of birds almost how interesting it is that I can make work focusing purely on that and it's taken into people's homes and like praised in the way that maybe people might have praised portraits of monarchs beforehand you know.
1: I asked you before our chat, you know, what is it that you love about art? And you said to me, creating something out of nothing. I love the meditative, mindful aspects of my process. I love having people so excited about the abstract, the expression and the bird life when they see my work. When you start out on a piece of work, do you know what the end product is going to look like exactly? Or are you willing to to keep an open mind and go on a bit of a journey with each individual piece? I'm
0: definitely open to having a journey. Um I did like a short course at National Art School I think 2 years ago and my teacher then told me that my practice was known as the finder and the maker practice. So you kind of make and then you will reevaluate and look at what you've got and find something and then make again. So it's this process where like it unfolds to you as you work. And I think I do have a vision of what in general I would like to create, but you know, I've always been a bit off with composition and things like that. And I, and if you, if I have tried to plan out work very thoroughly beforehand, it ends up looking too tight and flat and it doesn't really work as well. So I think being open to the work evolving as I'm making is really An important part of the process. This is the Passion and Perspective Podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
1: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up to date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. as a person do you feel that you've you've changed or grown as a result of being an artist
0: Hmm, I'm not sure that's a difficult one (laughs) I think it's just allowed me to realize that you can like like I really think really making mistakes is really okay (laughs) because as an artist that's where you learn and that's where you evolve so I think personally for me it's like you realize like a lot of it's the illusion of being an artist which is just like you wake up and the you know you're like 20 and you've never done anything before and you make an amazing painting like it's just not the reality like there's hours and hours of work in there and I think that kind of applies to everything else like you have I think it's taught me a bit of resilience in that way like you can if things aren't working out like you just kind of have to keep going or find a different path. Do you think that's a
1: bit of a misconception and a common misconception is like the overnight superstar? In, in any industry, people think that uh, it's lucky that you, know, you became an artist or it's lucky that you became a musician. Is that common within the art industry, that people have a perception of luck?
0: I don't think it's common in the art industry, but I think it's common like in broader society. I think that's what people expect of you. Like... Even, like, I met people after school who hadn't seen me for a few years, and they're like, wow, I've seen your work now. Who would have thought you could do that? And I would be like, oh, okay. And I'm like, well, in a way that's kind of nice, because it means, like, I've really worked hard for the works that I make. Like, I haven't always been able to make resolved work. So I I think, yeah, some people don't really understand the amount of hours that go in, but other people do.
1: The process and the creative flow, how disciplined do you have to be? Do you need to set yourself time to be creative or can you just wait for that wave to to pick you up and and take you away? (laughs) It's kind of
0: both. Like sometimes I do set time and I'm like, okay, on that day, like I'm going to brainstorm and just go for a walk and like see what comes to me and like not have expectations of myself and then like, on that day I'll get into the studio and I'm like it's not I'm just I need to make that work and I'm that's what I'm making and I'm not really going to try much else or try something too new but then at other times like I'll like be driving home and I'm like oh I could make an artwork of that and that and I often find when I'm driving like I will come up with really great ideas in my brain so but it's so like fluid it just kind of runs out of your mind but there's things that stick and then I think about all the time like oh yeah I need to make that and and have like this vision of what this work should look like.
1: Megan you said to me that a challenge for you has been maintaining the practice as an artist whilst being a full-time visual arts and photography teacher at Blackson High School how have you overcome the challenge of effectively balancing two careers?
0: I don't know if I've overcome it I mean I guess I have like I think it's all it's honestly all about time management so it's just like knowing when things are due like often I have exhibitions booked in and so I know I have to make work so it really just becomes like okay if I don't make work now like during the school holidays then I I simply won't have a show put together so I think Like so far, I've managed to make it work because I have a style that I've developed and I can rely on. So I know what to do, and I'm comfortable with the work that I make with the bird artworks. So for me, I can manage my time with that. But but what really has I what I haven't been able to pursue more, and what is quite challenging is just that art making that might not go anywhere or ha- has a different idea or is a completely different style of work being having the time to resolve that is really not that achievable while teaching full-time and you know I'm grateful for being able to teach full-time and having like such a stable job but it has been a huge challenge managing them and it, w- it was a huge challenge at all to go back to work full-time because you go to art school and you spend all of that time really like it's it feels like selfish but it also feels like important to you like it's important to me to be an artist like I wouldn't go to art school like I know a lot of people that went to art school and they didn't really pursue it any further because they didn't really believe in it either they didn't oh it's too hard to become an artist you know so being at like leaving art school and then you know going and getting into exhibitions straight away I was like oh my gosh it's actually happening for me and I felt like I feel quite guilty actually about working full-time as a teacher and like choosing like to make money and like eventually be buying a home and things like that I feel like there's a little part of me like the artist inside of me that's like why didn't like maybe you should just work more work more on your art and not worry so much about money so honestly it's it's a huge huge challenge and like what gets me through that is like i just say okay well like maybe one day like in a few years i might be able to go back and go back like cut my hours at work or who knows like
1: yeah you mentioned guilty is it guilty like to yourself is it guilty to other artists where does that feeling
0: Yeah I think it's kind of both because I think there's so many people out there that that they wish that they could have been in my shoes having been picked up by a gallery and like I never really thought I would be given that opportunity and I feel almost guilty in a way that like I haven't been able to like ride with that and make it so that I can be an artist full-time like I mean that's always like the dream is like people say to me oh so are you like self-sustaining you're only an artist and like you feel bad when you say no like I have a job <laughs> like another job I mean that's like another thing is like people don't believe that being an artist is a job either they're like oh so you know I've been told things like oh you know art's just a hobby for you now because I'm working full-time as a teacher and I'm like oh, well that's not fair like like, I, can you have, like, an honours degree in your hobby? Like, I feel like that's offensive, so.
1: <laughs> when you hear people such as Shannon Boyd, who we had on the podcast, mm. Brendan Davies, do you like the idea of eventually transitioning out of your, your day-to-day work and, and making this a, a full-time career? I really do. I do want to. It's a hard...
0: I feel very mixed though because I also do really enjoy teaching but I think like I think that there's nothing more special though than being a practicing artist and bringing that to my teaching like I feel like that that's like the dream is to be able to work part-time and like have those focused days that are towards my practice and I'm building and developing like you know as when I was working part-time, I'd have Fridays as admin days because there's a surprising amount of admin in art making, like the amount of prizes that you need to enter or just updating your CV or rewriting an artist statement or, you know, contacting other. There's so much admin. Like I had a whole day allocated for that. And I think it would be great to have that time to like work on my practice and constantly exhibit and evolve as an artist But then also, like, be in the community and be impacting the young artists that I feel like I'm impacting today. Like, that's just as rewarding to, like, see students come through school and get excited about art and be surprised about their own successes. So, I feel really torn. Like, I don't really want to give up either. Like, I want, I feel like I get a bit burnt out by the end of the year because I'm just, like, exhausted from doing both like I don't want to let either of them go really
1: yeah and what is one key learning that you're trying to pass on to the students you teach whether it's as an artist or a lesson from life is there something you're trying to pass on to them
0: I think I would really just hope that students like learn that being creative is really valuable so it doesn't have to be that you can draw, you know, or paint. It's like you might have, like, this idea that no one else has and you want to express that in some way, whether it's, like, writing or speaking or appreciating art. Like, there's so many different types of students I see and I'm blown away by just the different ways that they can be creative. So I would hope that, like, they come out of art, especially maybe studying through to the senior years, either believing that... They can make work themselves or having an appreciation for art that might not be as prevalent in Australian society as it could be.
1: How have your priorities shifted, Megan, where you are now, say, when you first started exhibiting it in 2014?
0: I think they've shifted a lot because when I first started exhibiting, like, that was... You know, I was really all for art. Like, I I knew I would want to teach, but I don't think that I knew that I would love it as much as I have. And so that was was my priority. It was, like, making work and being an artist and making that work. Um, And, I mean, I've also always wanted to have, like, conventional things, like get married and have children and have a home and things like that. And I think, like, just slowly, slowly, as I got older and older, it became more apparent that more sacrifice was required for those things than I'd initially realized. So, like, I am still, like, living at home. (laughs) So I haven't had to pay rent. So I've been saving a lot of money to buy a home. And so at one point when I found out that the house that I was living in was going to be sold it became really apparent to my partner and I that we needed to like buckle up and either choose to go rent or buy and so we decided we really wanted to buy a home and so like houses are really (laughs) expensive and so I mean the reality was I was like okay well I really want I really want that and so that's like another part of what I feel a bit like guilty about sometimes too is like wanting those things maybe more than I want to be a successful artist and it feels like I listen to other people talk about art and they're like, I couldn't live and breathe without art and I still feel the same but I guess as well like r- those conventional things that aren't as romanticized like you know feeling secure and having somewhere to live and like maybe having children it's also really important to me yeah
1: it's been an incredible journey for you Megan with a lot of really important moments along the way when you think the opportunity to go to art school whilst at high school, going to art school for your honours, laying out the big canvas and painting the dog that really sparked a creativity, mm. do you take time day to day to reflect on the journey to this point and the different ups and downs that you've been through?
0: Yeah, I definitely do because it has been so much more of a roller coaster than I ever thought. Like when I first was exhibiting outside of art school in 2014 I was thinking like yes I've made it I did it like that and I as like the years went on and like I kept doing more shows I realized oh this is so much more of a journey than like I've made it you know there would be years where I would have, like, a really successful show, and I would sell almost everything, and then the next year I'd sell, like, two artworks, and it would be, like, okay, so, like, what's that about, like, is something wrong with my work, or, like, does it not matter if they don't sell, there's, like, so many different alternatives that you can think of, and then the next show I'd have, like, more would sell, and I just realized, like, it's so unpredictable, and also, like, it's, it is a career in that way that you have to like make it sustainable for yourself too. Like I felt a bit like when I was first selling, I was like, okay, I can just keep doing this. And then I started to feel a bit like a machine in the, like the amount of works that I was making that, that were similar. And I think I was just so excited that, that I was being appreciated by the art community. But I think like, even now, like I feel, I feel almost like in, a bit of a low of my art career at the moment actually. Like even though I have I'm in the Mount Toma exhibition and I'm like also exhibiting up in Blackheath, like I don't have any shows planned anymore in Sydney because my work no people aren't really interested in my work in Sydney at like in that area anymore. And so that's like quite hard to think about too because I have to think, okay, well, like I mean the downside is like I might not be making as much money off my art but then like that's why I've gotten into teaching so that I don't have to rely on that income and so at the same time like I don't feel that bad like I'm quite excited I'm like okay well this is like the opportunity that I've wanted to have time to maybe create something different or maybe I decide after trying to create something different that I just like what I'm doing like I don't think that there is a right answer at all and it's just going to be like a constant up and down and I really, I don't know where my art practice is going to go.
1: And in your opinion, Megan, do you believe in life that as people we find ourselves or that we create ourselves? Like, do you think the path is laid out for people from point A to point B and we just live it? Or that every single decision you make shapes where
0: your journey goes Mm, this is such a hard question because i think i've listened to like a sam harris podcast on free will and he said there's no such thing so (laughs) it's like (laughs) i think that i do think we have a lot of control over our lives but i think that there's lots of aspects that are out of our control too and i think you know a lot of what i've learned like in art and in teaching and in terms of growth in my life is that it's so important to be reflective because in reflection you can kind of choose where you want to go. And I think having time to evaluate on our decisions and decide whether they align with our values is so important. Because if you don't take time to like stand outside of yourself and look at the way you respond or the way you think and decide whether that's what you would like or not, then that's when you become that's when you don't have free will like that's when you're letting your life get guided by just external circumstances so I think like like having me deciding that I wanted to pursue art and I didn't really care if I didn't take it seriously or not I wanted to try you know I think that's like a purposeful decision that's impacted my life if I hadn't decided to do group shows or make work for exhibitions and that I thought it would be too difficult then maybe I wouldn't be an artist but in the same token if I hadn't gotten you know, if, a, if the gallery hadn't come to me in 2014 and asked if I wanted to exhibit with them I don't know as well like, what my work would look like or if I'd be exhibiting as much as I am now so I honestly think it's a combination of the both
1: Megan, what do the next six months or so have in store for you? You mentioned that it is a bit of a low at the moment, but what what are you looking forward to to really getting done over this next half a year?
0: I really would like to just, I, I mean, I would love to organise another residency because I feel like on residencies you just have this solitude and this deep respect for your practice. Like often when I've done residencies, I have gone there thinking that I would maybe like read a book or go for a walk every day and like maybe only do an hour of art making like every single time I've gone I've just worked like at least eight hours straight every day on art making because you just relish in this like continuation of the creative process like I will make an artwork and think oh maybe I could do this and like the next day I'm able to just do it whereas like in my life now I'll think of ideas like that and then it'll come to like when I have a time and I'm like, wait, what was that cool idea I thought of, you know? (laughs) So I think I would love to do an artist residency. And if not that, like I have some ideas about like maybe doing some more ceramic works or sculptural works or um, some fire truck paintings I've been thinking of in my mind too. So we'll see we'll see what happens
1: (laughs) what's the best way for people to check out your work website social media what's the best way to to check it
0: out uh well the most the site that i update the most often is instagram so if you follow me at my name which is megan potter so m-e-a-g-h-a-n-p-o-t-t-e-r you can follow me there but i also have a website meganpotter.com and a facebook meganpotterartist
1: Megan, thank you so much for such a a genuine and inspiring conversation. Wishing you all the best. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.
1: For more unique and inspiring stories from the Blue Mountains and Penrith region... Check out other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast. You can also listen to the latest series from Sporting Chance Media, Adventure Shorts, where we chat with local guests from the world of the great outdoors and hear some of their most memorable adventures. Search for Adventure Shorts on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast.